0: Welcome into the conversation on TYT. I am your host, Adrian Lawrence. And I have a guest today who has that international recognition. You might recognize him from season eight of RuPaul's Drag Race. This is Bob the Drag Queen. Bob. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. How's everything on your end?
1: uh, All things considered, well, that's the answer this year. All things considered, I'm doing well. Um, this year is one for the books. I, mean, I have officially declared 2020 Black History Year. Uh, like no, this year- why, Because is,
0: of the suffering and oppression? Is that
1: why? It's, it's, no, it's because of the progress and the strides that we are making as a black community this year. Um, we We still have a long way to go, but we've achieved so much this year, I'm just so proud of us. Well,
0: there is, you know, and especially in the midst of a global pandemic, we have managed to make it so that there is this social uprising and significant change. And I know you, being a reigning member of the drag queen community, you've been active in that. And what do you think the drag queen community really brings to that conversation for social change?
1: Well, funny, you should ask. There's this movement um, started in, well, actually, I think you can say it started in Chicago with the Black queer drag scene. It's called the Black Drag Council in Chicago. And they brought about change in the nightlife community. And it started an uprising across the country in different, um, in like uh, in Minneapolis and Los Angeles and Atlanta and New York, where like Black people are demanding, oops, excuse me, I'm sorry, where Black people are demanding equity and equality across all platforms.
0: Yes, that's right. And something kind of interesting that went down recently this week, because I know you're from Columbus, Georgia, so you're up in the South. In Asheville, North Carolina, they formally apologized for you know, to black residents for slavery, for the participation in it. And they issued reparations. Now they're not handing out checks, but they're handing out change. To try to build up, you know, housing practices in largely black areas and whatnot. So they did something completely unprecedented. From your vantage point and your thought, can you see this kind of becoming a trend with cities giving back to the black communities that they've essentially stolen from for centuries?
1: Well, I hope so. It was really weird at the beginning of quarantine because you know there's been there's been people trying to get reparations for the black community for years now. And but America was like, we just can't, we just can't afford it. It's not in the budget. We're so sorry, but then all of a sudden, America was like, "But we do have the ability to give every single adult twelve hundred dollars. Um, not just not just every adult who files taxes gets to." So I'm kind of like, "Oh, so y'all been had the money the whole time? Very interesting." My mom always say, "White folks act like they have money even when they don't." And, the
0: and you know it because they really did pull that. Like I'm gonna get two trillion just out of nowhere. Yeah. To fix the situation
1: that didn't. Trillion mean. out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then, and then had the audacity to ask Americans to survive for basically four months off of $1,200. And they'd be like, why y'all mad? Mm-hmm. And because we see what's we going not, on now. not eaten a good meal for four months. That's why we're mad. And because, you know, we're sitting at home with all of our feelings, all of our emotions. And then social justice, social injustices pop up. We're like, it's it's the straw that broke the camel's back.
0: Exactly. And so let me ask you: if you were in charge of reparations for black people, what would you give out?
1: I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I've been thinking about reparations. I started Googling it because there's a lot of people working on these kind of things. And I think that reparations has to, and this is gonna be where it gets really controversial. There is no equality without the loss of power. So if these people, and these people gonna meet here, they have to give something up. They just have to, that's how it works because power is not limitless. There's a limited number of jobs, there's a limited number of money, there's a limited number of um, housing, there's a limited number of these opportunities. These things are indeed actually limited. So in order for the people who are below to gain something, it has to come from the people who are all the way up here. So for me, it would involve um, shares and companies, especially these these especially these companies like Fruit of the Loom or the or the NBA or uh, any especially a company uh, industries where Black people have been like rock and roll industries where Black people have been the driving force behind the companies, or if if not now that our ancestors were, um, they need to be. Definitely paying into it. I think that in terms of the South, there should be a lot more. And also, there are people out there looking at the fact there's actually lots of ways to find untapped money in the United States um, economy.
0: You know, and I think that those are excellent points because there is always something there, as you said. Kind of all of a sudden, there's money that when they claim there was none. Um,
1: and well, I mean, here's, here's a point in in, in Georgia. Um, all student, all students in Georgia get to go to college for free. A lot of people don't know that. Georgia has socialism so of all places. Of all places, Georgia has socialism. It's called the Hope Scholarship. If you maintain a if you maintain a B average in high school, you get to go to a state college for four years for free. Oh, free! They won't pay for your um, room or board, but they will pay for your, um, your your tuition, and it's paid for through um, the Georgia Lottery. Wow,
0: Oh, wow! you blew my mind, I had no idea. And it would be kind of cool if they did that in Cali, but then again, hey, we're doing the best we can right now, especially with COVID-19. And I know you've probably seen a number of people, especially in the black and brown communities, really mm, not get the healthcare they need and unfortunately are dying because of COVID-19. What do you think needs to change in order for our communities to get the resources that we need?
1: Well, first of all, I think that people need to really be considering their neighbors. We have a, a, a president right now who is really trying to like, he's just where where he could, where where a reporter asked him, why are black people dying? And then he goes white people too. That, I mean, this guy's getting really audacious. I mean, we, we thought Obama had audacity. This is audacity, you know what I mean? White people too, and more white people. It's like Trump, really feels like he's standing up for this underrepresented group of people in America called white people. You know what I mean? I think that we all need to maybe take a step back and realize that there is a chance that we're actually all one in the same thing. Is that a possibility? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I think that some people, specifically the conservative right, are coming at it from an angle of fear. Yes. It's an anger of like I'll lose this, but it's also weird too because what Trump is doing is he is playing to the lowest common denominator, and he's playing to people's fear, and he's actually playing on people who are also not winning. I guess not like he's he's doing this to benefit the extremely wealthy, but even disenfranchised poor white people are being are not coming out on top because of what Trump is doing, and I don't think they can see that.
0: Yep. No, you're absolutely right. That fearmongering. I definitely know. I very much miss the days when the president having audacity meant wearing a tan suit. Right, but and, hey. and,
1: and, and for his wife to wear a sleeveless shirt. Not. I mean, this this administration is wild. I mean, this is. It feel every time he says something, I'm like, this is crazy. This is crazy.
0: Uh huh, And it's it's absolutely incredibly wild how many people continue to co-sign and sign on for it because of the fear mongering, but also because unfortunately playing on racial struggles and this thought that we cannot lose, as you mentioned earlier, power and how important yeah. that is. Yes, and so I know we don't have that much time left and so there was something I really wanted to touch upon, in part because everything's so heavy right now and you really do bring people smiles. So you've got this um, kind of comedic performance that came out uh, released what is it, Live at Carolinas? And that yeah, came
1: out Bob around- Bob the Drag Queen Live at Carolines. Yes,
0: yes, yes. please uh, tell us about that.
1: So Bob the Drag Queen Live at Carolinas came out in February. It was uh, my second stand-up comedy specialist at Carolines Comedy Club, which is probably one of the most famous uh, comedy clubs in America, in Times Square, the heart of New York City. Um, and it really discusses me growing up in the South. It's a lot about my mom. Um, uh, it's about my blackness, my queerness, my family, my mom, um, and you know, basically my place in the universe. I'm really proud of it. It's honestly one of the funniest things I've ever done. I'm really, really proud of it.
0: Oh, That's awesome. And so where can people find it?
1: You go to iTunes, go to, type in Bob the Drag Queen Live in Caroline's.
0: Yes, uh, cuz I actually checked on it a little earlier and you do talk about your mom and I love that. Um, even though like my mom comes at me for talking about her on Twitter. Uh, how does your mom feel about having this stand up special directed at her?
1: Well, she thought it was charming. First of all, she's actually in it. And there's a part where she's like swearing a lot. And it's weird because she's swearing by asking me not to swear. So she's like, <laughs> don't say words like this. And then she ends up being in my special saying all the things she told me not to say, which I thought was was really funny. But my mom thinks I'm really funny. She's my biggest cheerleader.
0: Oh, that's really wonderful. And that's so cool. And so what's next for you?
1: Well, we're going back into season two of We're Here. I have a show on HBO called We're Here with Shangela and Yuriko um, O'Hara. And we're going to be going back into filming season two, hopefully in the winter. We'll see how everything goes. We know that a lot of the is being reshut down. So we're going to see how that goes. And, um, and I'm still working for my home, um, producing content online as well.
0: Awesome, wonderful. And can you tell us, Bob, where can people find you on social media?
1: The best place to find me is dragqueen.com. But if you type in Bob the Drag Queen on Twitter or Instagram, you will find me there with my big smiling face.
0: Ooh, and what a beautiful big smiling face it is. Thank you so much for
2: joining us, Bob. It was great chatting with you.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
2: Welcome back to the conversation here on TYT. I'm your sometimes host, Francesca Fiorentini. Hope you're doing well. We have such a great guest for you. Um, his name is Jason Harrow. He's the executive director of Equal Citizens, which is an organization that is launching a new initiative about a very old problem. I know everyone is very concerned about the Electoral College. Uh, the campaign is called Fix the College, and Jason's here to talk to us about it. Hey, Jason. Hey, Francesca, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Um. Tell us about this campaign, Um, I know that it was spurred because of the recent Supreme Court decision. Um, Tell us about the decision.
3: Yeah, so the decision actually took years to get here, it arose from the 2016 election. And the question was, who are these members of the Electoral College, these 538 mysterious presidential electors? Do they have a constitutional right to vote? for whoever they want as president, including maybe someone other than Donald Trump or Joe Biden this year in 2020? Mm -hmm. Or are they bound to the vote of whoever wins the most vote in the state? And this question was unsettled, believe it or not, for several hundred years of our history. The Supreme Court answered it last week in a decision that said, people can be bound. They can essentially be robots, they have to vote for who the people tell them to vote for, and that's right. how I understand the instinct of that, but I think many
2: people read that decision and said, well, what's the point of the electoral college? Right, and yeah, right. So this was a 9-0 decision, which is pretty. I mean, that tells you something right out of the gate, right? Like this is unanimous on the Supreme Court that states should be able to vote with. Their people, and essentially um, get behind the popular vote rather than be forced to um, go with where their electors want to vote, uh, if I'm understanding that correctly. and And were you surprised by the decision, first of all, about that? Like I thought that the electoral college was a little more controversial than that.
3: I I was somewhat surprised, but not totally. And, And what I mean by that is that I think if you look at the Constitution and you think about the system that the framers of the Constitution thought we would have ever envisioned this system where only a few states matter and there's this winner take all rule where if you win by one vote or a million, you get all of the electors in a state. And what that means is only a few states get campaign visits, only a few states matter. And as viewers know, we're hearing all about Pennsylvania, Florida, Wisconsin, California, New York, Alabama, doesn't matter for the presidential election, that's not the system the framers envisioned. but I do think people are used to the current system. So it was always gonna be a little bit of a tough lift to convince a majority of the Supreme Court justices to say, hey, when people go to the polls, they're actually only voting for these presidential electors, right. not for president. And you know, if they have some other idea about who to vote for, they can do it. So that wasn't entirely unexpected.
2: Yeah, yeah. And okay, just for the people in the back, what is wrong with the Electoral College?
3: Well, there's there's so much wrong i I think in the way it's implemented that mm-hmm. and that's the key, right? there's the, the idea of an electoral college, the idea that um we have this indirect method of election and that maybe some small states should get a little bonus. that's actually not, I don't think a, a a terrible idea. It's probably not the way we would do it today, mm-hmm. but actually, small states are sort of on both sides of the political issue right now for for every north and south dakota that's sort of big and rural there's right. a vermont or a delaware that's sort of small and on the east coast and maybe more liberal so right. that aspect of the electoral college is is actually not so bad what i think is really broken with the way we select the president is this winner take all system where california where you and i are are remotely talking from out of play, right? Everyone understands it's gonna go for Joe Biden. Oklahoma, out of play. Everyone understands it's gonna go for Donald Trump. And I don't think anyone would create a system where large majorities of voters are just irrelevant to the whole presidential election. So that's really the fundamental problem.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, For those who don't know, can you just briefly explain the three-fifths compromise? Cuz I think that, for me, is one of the biggest reasons why we need to reform the Electoral College. What what is that?
3: Yeah, so that was a compromise made at the convention in that summer of 1787 when our Constitution was written. Long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, in 1787, there were was lots of slaveholding and many people who wrote the constitution were indeed slaveholders. And they were negotiating among themselves about how to divvy up the power of the national government. And what the southern states said, and this is really I mean, tragic. Every time you think about it, you think, how could this have been in our constitution? How could this been a start for such a great country? Right. But they came to the Constitution convention and they said, hey, we need the political power that comes with holding slaves, that that comes with enslaving people, but we're not gonna let them vote. So what do we do about it? And what the convention decided was, well, for purposes of representation, they would count each enslaved person as three-fifths of a a white individual for purposes of apportioning the House of Representatives and counting the population. Now, Mm. you asked it in the context of a discussion of the Electoral College because what most people don't realize is that trickles down into it. And the reason is that the way we decide how many electoral votes a state gets is by adding up the senators plus House of Representatives. Right. And the total of the House of Representatives from 1787 until the Civil War was affected by this compromise. Where the South get these bonus sort of electoral votes because they are counting enslaved people as three-fifths of a white person but not letting them vote. So it's really insidious, it's sort of a backdoor into the electoral college, but, but it is
2: there. Right, right, right. So they, in some ways, southern states might have an outsized representation when it comes to the Electoral College, they, or, they did, or not no, enough. Be, well, it,
3: what it actually does is is it gives them a boost, right? That's right. the irony.
2: Mm-hmm. The
3: The really tragic irony is that the south is in a way wanting to count enslaved people the most. They, they don't want three fifths. They want four fifths. They want one out of one. Why? Because they're not going to let them vote. So it's right. almost like, you know, if you get three fifths, you get 1.6 votes for every white person. If you get one out of one, you get double your your, your bonus. It's really, I mean, it's horrible That's to some think about racist right? math, now, to be clear. Yeah. It's racist <laughs> math. To be clear, that was eliminated sure. in 1865 yes. by the Civil Rights Amendments and as the Civil War Amendments, right? Which abolished slavery and wrote the three-fifths compromise out of the Constitution. Yes. But it it persists, right? Because I what you're talking about is, the, and trust me, I've gone back and looked at way too many debates about what was happening <laughs> in the early convention. Uh-huh. But when you read
2: it- More you than see just watching Hamilton,
3: dis- right? More than watching Hamilton, as great, great as it is, more Got than watching it. Hamilton, and and let me tell you, these things they're not like sung, they're, they don't rhyme. It's much harder to read. But when when you do read it, you realize that they actually discussed having a popular vote even back in 1787. But what you're talking about meant that it was really hard to get to because James Madison, the sort of king of the convention, he recognized, hey, the southern states will never go for a popular vote because then they'd have to let the enslaved people vote, right? And if you're just counting right. up votes, there aren't enough only white people. Right, and and, then and comp- so that was just that today-
2: a no-go. Right, and then seeing how the Civil Rights Act has been gutted and the Voting Rights Act have been gutted in so many of these same states, right? Former Confederate states are now trying to suppress the vote in any way they can. You can see why there's pushback against the popular vote, which I wanna talk to you about. Why try to fix the Electoral College? Why not just have a popular vote? Can it be fixed?
3: Yeah. It's a great question,
2: and and why we're calling this
3: initiative Fix the College, is that we do think it can be fixed. Because the key problem with it is something that each individual state is doing on its own, which is awarding its electors to whoever wins the popular vote, even by one, right? Mm -hmm. So 2016, Donald Trump narrowly wins Wisconsin, he gets all of the electors. In 2016, over 4 million people voted for Donald Trump in California. Their votes were thrown out, right? They were totally ignored. So I think if you change that mechanism and maybe have a few additional tweaks to the college, like let be fractional votes so that we can accurately capture, you know, if someone wins 55% to 45%, let's have 5.5 electoral votes and 4.5 electoral votes, you know, if they have 10 electoral votes in a state. That just sort of gives everyone that equal say that we all should have. When we elect the president, so is I think it, there are there are ways to fix it,
2: right? And is it also that it's easier to fix the electoral college than let's say amend the constitution and have a a um, a popular vote? Like, is it sort of a path of least resistance question as well? It can be, and some of these fixes that we're talking
3: about might be constitutional amendments. The ones that are maybe a little more bipartisan or easier. To, to swallow than a full popular vote, like you could imagine amending the Constitution, where you still give small states that that little kind of bonus. You keep electors, but you make them fractional or something like that. So there's a lot of creative solutions. What we want to do is really talk about it because people don't get enough sort of civic discourse and 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 ability to have their voice heard. And keep people talking about it in an engaged and fair way rather than just slogans. So that's what we're trying to do.
2: And tell us then, um, this campaign fix the college. You're actually doing it democratically yourselves quickly. How are you going about this process?
3: Yeah, so we're gonna partner really quickly with some Folks that are doing this amazing work in America and around the country with these platforms to help people of diverse backgrounds have constructive conversations. No yelling, no name calling, no slogans. And we wanna, the electoral college is a nice discreet topic to talk about that. And it's a great way to educate people and have some fun too.
2: Awesome, Jason Harrow. Attorney, Executive Director of Equal Citizens, check out their work, check out Fix the College, get involved, and thank you so much for this important work. I wish it happened before this November, Oh my God.
3: Till next, it's a long, hard slog, but I'm really optimistic that we can change the way we elect the president. No one likes it, so how can we not change it? (laughs) Agreed,
2: thank you, Jason.